Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Emily shares her path from a non-target school to landing a summer internship at Goldman Sachs, what she did when she didn't get the return offer in 2008, and a detailed dive into the day-to-day of analysts in the fund advisory group at Lazard. Learn how that group and working as a placement agent is different from investment banking, and why a transition to investor relations in private equity is a natural next step. Also, don't miss some important advice on the one thing you should believe in before taking on significant career risk. Enjoy. All right, Emily, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could give the listeners just a short summary of your bio. Sure. So um, I graduated from college in 2008. Um, and I did my summer internship between my junior and senior year in banking at Goldman and the Industrials Group. Um, then upon graduating, I went to Lazard and their private fund advisory group, which does fundraising for third-party private equity firms. And then um, I've now been at Searchlight for seven and a half years, um, which is hard to believe. But um, here I'm head of investor relations and also chief of staff for the firm. So um, do a variety of different things here. Seven years is a good run. That's very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're you're graduating in probably the worst year in the last whatever quarter, you know, century or so, <laughs> or since the Great Depression. So tell me, 2008, you have this summer internship at Goldman. Do you get the return offer, or was it something like really tough in the summer? Was it super competitive, and they just didn't give a lot of return offers? Yeah, so it was it was a great experience for me. Um, I um, I did not receive a return offer, um, which I think you know that that was a, that was tough for me. Um, but I felt like um, you know as I was going through the process, there were elements or going through my internship, there were elements of it that I really enjoyed, and then there were other elements of it that it was clear to me weren't really my core skill set. Um, and so you know from that, did a, a lot Can of. Can we go back even before? So let's talk about how you even landed the internship in the first place. Was that like sophomore, junior year? When did you hear about investment banking? What even made you think, hey, this might be interesting? Yeah, so I um, you know, was doing a lot of networking. I was, I'm not someone who grew up and like knowing a lot about finance, investment banking, what that really even was, yeah. um, but doing some networking, trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do um, with my career. Um, and actually my sophomore year, I saw there was an internship posting at, at Goldman in a in some sort of compliance group. And it was not all that exciting, but um, I, I knew that it was obviously a great place to work um, and a really prestigious role to get in any way you could get your foot in the door there. And so um, interviewed, I didn't get an internship because at that time they really didn't have a lot of sophomore year interns. Um, but then when I came back, um, you know, junior year and when it was really time to get the internship that I felt like really mattered for me. Um, I think they had already seen my resume once. Um, and I was able to, at that point, then really articulate why it was that I was interested um, in that role. Um, also, some of my coursework, even though it wasn't very finance oriented, um, I was an economics major, undergrad, also a double major in environmental studies, but I had some um, some areas in coursework that I'd done that I think demonstrated the um, also the sector interest in industrials, um, and I think that helped. Um, and I also, interestingly, um, interviewed early because I was going abroad my my. Um, my junior, my yeah, junior year spring. Okay. Um, 
so I interviewed really early, which now is like really late, right? Yeah. <laughs> At that exactly. time, it was really early. Um, and so I was part of kind of an early decision process, which I think helped me overall, um, probably. Okay. Um, so did you feel like in terms of um, interviewing really early and going abroad and, well, you said you applied for sophomore and it was a compliance. You didn't get that, but then all of a sudden you landed a front office industrial? Like, uh, yeah, so I kept, I mean, I kept after I kept inter like, I kept, you know, trying to network with people and understand more about it. Tell, um, me about, tell me a little bit more about that. Like when you say network with people, or is it like through on campus? Like, I think it's a kind of a, it's a very small school, like you went to a right. really small liberal arts school. So was there anything on campus? Is that how you were doing it? Or were you using LinkedIn at that no, point? There was nothing on campus. And so I was trying to, I was networking to people through alumni, um, through, you know, various personal relationships and kind of any way that I could find in. Yep. Um, and so talking to a lot of different people and even though, you know, many of those didn't lead anywhere. They were super helpful just in terms of honing my message and my ability to talk to people about what I was interested in and really helping kind of craft that narrative um, was really helpful. And so spoke to a, a ton of people to try and figure that out and was cool. fortunate to you know, find a connection and a, and a way in um, to get in for that interview. And I think you know, even though I didn't, I certainly didn't come across as, you know, all that knowledgeable around finance. Um, I came across as, I think, you know, passionate about wanting to do a good job and work really hard and, you know, was wanting your, to be successful. Was your um, GPA like really high too, I assume? Uh, no. No? Wow, you're good at networking. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> so, so your GPA um, wasn't great. You get somehow from a pretty much a non-target end up yeah. at Goldman. Do you think, like you said, the early recruiting, that's interesting to me, the fact that you were going away, you yeah. had enough of an in, in the sense where like you knew, was there one specific person there that was like pushed you through to get that first round interview? That kind of was the key. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think that's right. So I think once I think once I got my foot in the door. But where did you, where did you meet that person? Was that just through a friend? Yeah, through a relationship, you know, someone that, that helped put me in touch with someone there. Okay, and then you made a decent impression on him or her such that they helped push your resume into that. Yeah, and again, I think a lot of it came back to, um, I think that you know, interviewing in a way that it demonstrated um, that I was someone that people could depend on and that I could, you know, was really like, you know, would kind of have the grid factor and would like work really hard and, and, and do a good job. Um, you were likable, you were likable. And like, oh, she's not going to leave us out to drive. She's going to work hard, work long hours. Did you communicate that in the interview? Like saying, I know what this job is really tough and it's long hours. Did you say stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, it feels like ancient history, but yeah, I, I'm sure Only I did. 12 years ago. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But yes, I, I'm sure that I, I did like very, and look, I'm, I'm like, I asked for it. Right. It was like, I want this. This is where I want to be. Here's all the reasons I, I know that. Um, and, you know, it was, I was. And so how did you prepare you just from to all the networking conversations you had, you felt like you were, you understood what the job was about so that you could go in, you kind of talk the talk, you get there. What's the reality versus like what you heard about and then actually living it. Was it like 80 hour weeks, 70 hour weeks were you? I mean, like, it was, it was really intense. Like I have to think that 2007, like investment banking in that environment was, was, you know, pretty, pretty yeah, up no. there in terms of intensity. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I went in and it was, um, it was, it was tough. Um, but I feel like, you know, for me, I think the interesting thing was coming into that. I also, you know, didn't grow up in New York. I hadn't really spent time in New York before. I think I, I came into a situation where there was a lot of people who, you know, had been in undergraduate business programs who were just running circles around me in terms of their technical abilities. Right. Um, and so that was, and, and a lot of people who like knew each other or because of the schools that they went to knew people in the group. Um, and like, I didn't know like how to, like I had to figure out how to like ride the subway to get to the office. <laughs> like that was a challenge, you know? So, um, where, where, were, you, where were you from? Um, I grew up on the Eastern shore of Maryland. Okay, um, cool. and so I, you know, yeah, I, I kind of showed up and it was, um, it was, it was, you know, I, I just had to put all that stuff aside and focus on me and focus on doing a good job and doing the things that I knew how to do and like doing the task at hand. So, um, so was it something where like halfway through the summer you knew like, this is no way this is for me? Was it something like you felt like you just had a slow start because you didn't have that undergrad finance background and like I, I had the same issue I was uh, I was a Williams grad I didn't have even a summer internship I got at to I got into Rothschild 
and it was just like ah like finance accounting everything and then like <laughs> modeling i'm like what do you mean build this what do you mean do this model and i remember right. it wasn't until my vp kind of took me under his wing was like look this is what you have to do and i was like okay right. and i was working 80 to 100 hours a week consistently. yeah no yeah i was all so, out so right. my, my question is like do you feel like it was the timing like was the offer rate really high where you one of only a few that didn't get an offer or was it was it the fact that at the timing it was like oh wait they knew things were kind of heading south that they didn't give a lot of offers back or what or just you didn't yeah i mean i think they gave a decent number back you know i think there was a handful of people that that didn't you know um that weren't coming back but i think for me i think it was you know i never raised my hand and said i don't want this you know um but i think it was clear to me you know part way through that there were that I should really focus on the things that I was good at. Um, and that, you know, there were elements of the job that I consistently was told, like you were, you know, like in terms of dealing with the management teams that, you know, of the, of the companies we were representing or, you know, dealing with various clients, people were like, we trust you endlessly on that stuff. Like you, you know, in terms of like managing the process and the people and not letting anything fall, fall through the cracks. Like it sounds like you would have been better as an associate. <laughs> Right. No. And that's, and, and that's exactly the feedback that I got at the time was like, long term, you're going to be great. But like yeah. figuring out the next couple of years in terms of the technicals, you know, there's just going to be a steeper learning curve. Um, and I was up for that learning curve. Um, you know, I, I, the math wasn't like intimidating to me, but I didn't find that that was what I was um, really drawn to. Like you, I wasn't, you didn't want to live in Excel for two years straight. <laughs> yeah, that, just wasn't, that just wasn't what was appealing to me. And okay. I, I, I wasn't like, and look, I'm still not, I'm still not interested in like what the stock market is doing and all those things. Like, it's just not as, okay. you know, that, that wasn't um, my personal interest area. Um, and was so, it a surprise? like that summer, what was the most surprising thing was the fact that it was so technical and like you were struggling in terms of like the modeling or the, the technical side. Cause I could see, I mean, it makes sense cause you're an IR now and like you're, you're very like good with communications and, and people and probably you're probably a great writer. Was it something along the lines of the technical stuff was just like harder than you thought it would be or just more no, people I were just was, I don't think I think I came up with a very open mind not expecting that there was any specific you know I, I didn't have an exact expectation of what it would um what it would be like yeah um but I think coming in you know I think once I was inside I it helped me realize what I did and didn't like doing I think is how I put it so what didn't you like doing the modeling or the Comedy. Yeah, I just wasn't interested in the in that stuff. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, living for the kind of like thinking about the deals that we were doing and and the kind of more technical aspects of it. Okay, so tell me what your thought process was when you when when did you know that you there or had a good idea that you weren't going to get it offered? Did you not know till the end of the summer, middle of the summer? And it was at was, the end of the summer. And then what was your thought process? Was like, oh no, like what am I going to do going into my Senior year? Was it your senior year? Yeah. Yeah. So going to my senior year. Yeah. It was, um, you know, it was a question of, okay, like, you know, where, where do I go from here? Because that was a fantastic experience. I'm like thrilled that I did it. Um, learned a lot, but it's not, you know, I, I don't think that I want to go out and interview for, you know, banking roles. So, um, you know, what elements of the job did I like and how can I double down on those more? Um, and then this came back to the kind of the networking and trying to understand, you know, what areas within finance more broadly would give me that same type of, I mean, I enjoyed the intensity of it. Like I enjoyed, you know, people who are really passionate about what they were doing, who are really smart and driven um, and being, getting to work with those people. I liked that. Um, but I didn't see myself as being, you know, wanting to follow that path to be a, you know, a, a potentially like a private equity investor one day or something like that. That's just not the direction I saw myself going in. Was there a specific reason? Like, it's just, it just didn't interest you. Like what interested you more when you say what I liked and what I didn't like, do you like, I think it was more just that I felt like I was good at the, and I got feedback that I was good at certain things. And like when you're good at something and you get feedback that you're good, it feels better than being bad at something, like, you know, you mean like, yeah, presentations, uh, communicating with management and that type of stuff. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. And I think, and I think in particular it was the communicating with senior management. Um, and like, I remember like during the internship, they would like send me to go travel to different, you know, places and, and, and help with, um, you know, like tours of these coal mines and things like that. And like, they knew that I could go do that and do a great job of that. And that, um, I really enjoyed, you know, having that, um, 
that relationship with the clients. And, and so that was cool. something that I, I felt like I wanted to do more of that kind of thing. Um, and so and tell me, as you got back to campus, you, you'd already kind of had a pretty strong network because you've been putting in the groundwork um, over at least a year, right, or a year plus. And yeah. so was it somebody that um, you had already been in touch with at Lazard? Did somebody from uh, Goldman kind of put you in touch with the person who helped you kind of get your foot in there? And then what was the story you, because I think a lot of people who don't get an offer, they feel like life is over. Right. Um, right. And so I think it's important. Anyway, I did. I, well, yeah, that was like, I did feel a little bit like that right at the time. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's just, it's a letdown because you work so hard to get in. And right. then it's like, right. you know, for whatever reason, whether it's a down year, whether it's the economy, whether it's just the group didn't feel like you didn't mesh with the group culturally or whatever, you don't get the offer. And all of a sudden it makes, if you're trying, if you do want to be in banking, it makes it incredibly difficult to get another right. offer somewhere else. Cause you have to tell some sort of story of why they didn't want you. Um, right. So, but you kind of took, you took a different stance. You said, well, this might not be for me, but I do like finance. I do like the intensity. So let me see if I can go somewhere else. So tell me kind of how you thought about that or how you even knew what this private fund advisory. Yeah, again, I mean, I had someone suggested it to me and they said that that's your skill set. You know, you can, you should probably be in some sort of thinking about a marketing type role. Um, you can either go in the kind of the public route or the private route you know, and, um, and then from there, I thought that made sense. Um, and so then started reaching out to various, you know, public and private sort of marketing type uh, groups and roles. So can you tell um, me like what the private fund advisory group is like what within Lazard, what did, what did that group do or what was the job? Yeah. So um, they're a placement agent. So that's what people would refer to, mm -hmm. to them as, and that's kind of the broad industry. And so, um, you know, lots, most all of the big banks have placement agent groups within them. There's also a lot of other, um, you know, boutique independent placement agents. And what they do is they help private equity firms and, you know, real estate and infrastructure firms and credit firms like raise money. Um, so, you know, th those, you know, let's just call it private equity firms generally, you know, they need to go out and raise money every few years or more frequently. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times they have in-house people like myself. Um, and it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, most firms didn't have as many in-house people. Um, and so they relied more on outside placement right. agents to go out and help them raise money. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some independent placement agents, right, that are pretty large, correct, that like specialize right. in only in this. And I didn't realize that individual banks also have arms. So like at Lazard, can you give us a sense of how big that team is? Is it like five people? Is it 20, a hundred? No, I mean, when I was there, it was 30 people. I think it's now okay. like 70 people or something. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it's pretty um, big. So yeah. UBS, Credit Suisse, like all, all the big banks have those, those groups. Um, and they're all large and, and yeah, I told you, know, you, I didn't know anything about this space. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, okay. and so, you know, those, those groups all have big people and they hire, you know, um, analyst classes and, you know, and it's hard for them too to find people because people don't know about those. So, <laughs> yeah. So what are the, what are the call? So private fund advisory placement agents, what other mm -hmm. kind of ways is it named? That's, that's the main way. I mean, that, the I, that's, that's the, so if, if you do like a LinkedIn search, private fund advisory is a, a decent way to potentially find people who are in that group. That's right. Or placement agent. Yeah. Either one. Okay. That, that's and right. then do you think it's better to start um, in a bank at a placement, and you know, maybe you're biased, but in a division of a bank as a placement agent or to go to a specific shop that only does placement, just a placement agency? I think the experience is probably pretty similar um, because I think within a big bank, the placement agent groups are usually pretty separate um, because they're, you know, their mandates are just different. And, um, you know, there's not a lot, like, I think, you know, in, in some of the banks, they're very separate. Um, and some banks are a little bit more, you know, uh, kind of, you know, integrated with the, with the bank. But for the most part, it's quite a separate experience. And you'd find that the people in the placement agent group, certainly the junior levels, don't know a lot of people outside of their group, usually. Um, so I think that the overall experience is probably pretty similar, um, you know, for, for someone coming in as a junior person at um, a boutique placement agent that's independent versus one that's within a bank. Got it. So in banking, you're brought in as a junior person. You're kind of put on these deal teams you're flown to the client, you're putting on you're doing pitches, you're doing, you're working on live deals, potentially if you're doing acquisitions, if you're an M&A or doing some sort of analysis for clients. 
for within a placement within the private uh, fund advisory group within a bank? How should I think about it? You're you're brought in. Are you similar? The structure is very similar, except for you know instead of getting staffed on a deal that takes a couple months, you're usually getting staffed on a fundraising that's going to take a year. Um, or longer, you know, depending on, I mean, hopefully shorter. Um, but it's, you know, the, the assignments with clients tend to be longer, which I enjoyed because then you end up, um, you know, going deeper with those clients. I think also one thing that was helpful in terms of my pivot from banking into, um, into the fundraising was that um, while I was in banking, I worked on an IPO and we did a lot of, you know, S1 drafting. And I think that whole process is very similar to, um, the, the private placement memorandum drafting in, um, in private equity. And so I was able to talk about that process and my contribution to it, why I liked it, really getting to understand, you know, the company and, you know, how we were presenting it. And it's very similar in terms of, you know, on the, on the placement agent side. So that just thinking back to it, you know, that was actually, um, a, a useful thing that I talked a lot about in the interview process of why I thought I would like the job of being a placement agent. That makes um, a lot of sense. Yeah. So the S1 is, is, is the document just for the listeners that is prepped for the IP right before our initial public offering, right? Yeah. That has to be released publicly and tells all the risks associated with the, with the business and the upside and all that good stuff. So, and then PPM private uh, placement memorandum, mm-hmm. how it is, that's, is that on, at a fund level? Are you guys trying to kind of uh, find LPs that'll give money or is it just for private individuals, high net worth? How, so how that, that's the document that um, it, when you're preparing to go to market for a fund, um, that's kind of the, the, the document that summarizes all those legal risks and all that stuff, but also, um, you know, articulates the story of why it's a compelling fund that an investor should invest in. So like um, the, the special sauce, so to speak, of, right, of the specific right. strategy or fund. Now, I'm curious for something that's like proprietary, I guess they're confidential memorandums, but yeah. Mm-hmm. is there something like a, like a, did you ever work on like a quantitative fund that like didn't want to give their, like their secrets away and they didn't want to put everything in the PPM and like, they just had to show the track record and. Yeah. So, you know, people include various levels of detail in a private placement memorandum and sometimes, you know, they're, they're very detailed. Um, and then sometimes they're a little bit less detailed, but you know, in, in, private equity, you know, the, the memorandums are very much confidential and people have different ways of ensuring that those things are kept confidential. Um, and so, you know, investors, when they see that and other materials for a fund raising, like they expect those to be quite detailed and explain what the fund does. Like if you're, if you know, your returns, you know, alone speak for themselves, then, you know, that, that helps you in terms of not maybe needing to prepare as much, but they're, you know, that, that's not really how it works in private equity. You know, there's, um, people are, used to putting together a lot of materials and uh, limited partners are used to seeing a lot of materials because they're giving you money that's typically locked up for 10 years. Um, Yeah. So you were there for a good amount of time, almost four years or over four years. So can you tell me how, like what your day-to-day was like when you first started and how it progressed? I assume you got promoted or started taking on more of a management role versus the beginning you were doing a lot of that kind of (laughs) collection and prep document. Yeah. So, um, so no, so the way it works at a placement agent is um, there's typically kind of two main roles within a placement agent. So you know when you're out marketing, those are the people that are out having relationships with clients and and taking kind of products to them and and trying to pitch them and sell them on product. Um, when you come into a placement agent as a junior person, your role is usually on the project management side, and so that's why it's it's you know what you described earlier on the kind of banking process being very similar to. Um, you know, the, the placement agent junior kind of process. Um, and so, you know, that, that role is, um, you know, drafting materials for the fundraise. So the private placement memorandum, the due diligence questionnaire, which is all the questions that people usually ask and putting that together, um, all of the cash flows on the fund, um, you know, their track record, all their track record information, how you break that down. Um, and then, you know, working on the fundraising uh, program in terms of deciding, you know, we have, you know, support from existing investors. We don't, you know, here's how attractive we think it will be. Here's how, you know, what size target we should set the fundraising, you know, expectations of how much money you can really raise. Um, you know, where do we think this will be attractive? U.S. corporate pension funds or Asian sovereign wealth funds, you know, how do we think about that mix? 
um, and really helping develop all of that in conjunction certainly with the sales team um, but the but the project management team it, you know makes sure that you know you're you're moving through that process in an orderly way everyone's coordinated um, you know working trying to de trying to determine which investors are interested um, you know trying to get that group of investors together to come to a closing to actually so as an an as an analyst though or as a first is it called an analyst when you first come in yeah so as an analyst, and is there an associate and a VP? How should I think of the, the layout? Yeah, the, the, the structure is, is um, pretty similar to, you know, how you would think about a banking structure um, in terms of that, you know, associate, you know, analyst, associate, VP. But, you know, it, it just depends on the deal team. And, you know, but you certainly are going to expect to have a, an MD, a senior person who's, you know, steering that fundraising strategy. But And those it, MDs and those senior people, their relationships aren't to necessarily to companies, but more to LPs that are looking to place money. Well, so there's project management MDs okay. who who's who, like who I would have reported up into, yeah. and then there are um, you know kind of uh, distribution MDs um, who are you know out there with the relationships, and so it's it. it's the two sides of the business that work together. So um, that's cool. Okay, that makes sense. So there's one there's one like managing director kind of helping get everything together. It's almost like the the internal team, the workhorse team to right. like execute. Yeah, I think it's being kind of like the, you know, the, the nerve center of the fundraising, right? In that project management role where you're, you know, you're communicating with the, with the PE fund, the general partner in terms of, you know, how things are going, you're having update calls with them, keeping them updated on good news and bad news. Um, you know, what we need from them. Okay. This, the story is resonating. It's not resonating. You know, how can we adapt that? And then also communicating all that back and forth to the distribution team and saying, okay, great news. They've just exited this business at a great multiple like go back out to your investors and tell them that but it helps bolster the story um and and kind of managing all of that that process that makes a lot of sense okay so you it's funny because i did a little bit of when i was at tailwind i did a little bit of help with the fundraising on fund two there so i get i know a little bit of that i was doing the returns and sending out stuff to lp yeah so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i lived a little bit of it um but it wasn't my data. It wasn't, you know, all of what I was doing. So you were there for a good four years. What do you feel like, or when do you feel like it was time to move on in terms of, um, were you looking for a new challenge? Was it something of like, Hey, I've learned a lot here, but I'm not learning as fast. Or was the, did you just get approached by a recruiter? What was that whole, I guess, evolution from, Hey, maybe it's time to move on to, to when you actually jumped to Searchlight. Yeah, so I wasn't actively looking to leave. Um, you know, I had I was just kind of head down doing my job, like super super busy. Um, you know, it was it was you know having been through the kind of two thousand eight, nine, ten, like it was a time when you know things were leanly staffed, <laughs> um, and you know I was super oh, can busy. Can we talk about can we talk about pay or at least range of pay? You don't have to give me exact, but like just an idea of what. I assume it's a little bit less than your front office counterpart, the investment banking, but is it like significantly less? Like the bonus is the salary, is the base the same? Yeah, so um, I think it's gonna, it varies a lot place to place. Um, and I think you'd see it be, you know, coming in, you know, I think that first year, it's, I don't know anymore and kind of what, you know, I think when I started, it was roughly the same your first year or two. Um, and then you know, probably, you know, diverged over time. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's the, the pay is a little bit, less um like 75 base back then it was probably like 70 or 75 base and then like a 20k bonus or a 10k bonus or was it like 40 or 50 do you remember um <laughs> i don't remember exactly okay um, okay but i think you know it was pretty competitive with banking like those first okay. couple, certainly and like you know i, I think Maybe a slight haircut but not that dramatic right no it wasn't that dramatic okay. um because you were putting in were you putting it, in long out were you putting in long hours still yes very long hours yeah okay. it, it was it was you know, very intense. Um, because also I think 80, like 80 hours a week or more. Yeah. I mean, definitely 80 hours a week, sometimes more. Um, you know, I think it was also the other thing too, that's a little bit different is that, you know, placement agent role. And, and I think you and I are to an extent, it's a bit more of a marathon rather than, you know, these sprints. Right. So I think like I would, and I remember I had, cause I went through banking training at Lazard and I had friends in, in banking that, 
you know, they'd be super busy and totally crushed for, you know, however, like a month. And then they would kind of have like nothing to do, you yeah. know, <laughs> for but like some still have to be in the office till like two right, in the morning. Right? And they'd be hanging around and be like, what are you doing? You know, whereas I was just kind of like always like, it was like always the grind, right? There's always, because you've got the client, you always need to be just like moving forward on that fundraising. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was, you know, that, that cadence is probably a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So were you, was it more like steady work from what, 9 a.m. to like 9 p.m. kind of thing, like Monday through Saturday? How, how yeah, would you... I think it would also just depend on the client and where they were in the fundraising and also how, how, to... how many were you put on at a time? Two, three? Um, no, it's probably like five or six at a time. Oh, well. um, but it also, they're all at different stages. So, you know, some are just like in the ramp up and really getting going, and then others aren't. And some are easier and some are harder right? Depending on how, how strong stories. And then also some clients are just very different, you know? So I didn't, I didn't know we were going to go into the depth of placement agency analyst days. I just, it, to me, it's interesting because there's not a lot on it on Wall Street. No, I think it is. I, and look, I remember when I was trying to get into it, there wasn't much and I still don't think there's, there's much out there on it. So, um, but it also just depends on the types of clients you have. You know, some are, want to know every single detail mm -hmm. and are on top of you constantly and they want every update right away. And then others, like just trust that you're going to do a good job and you want to check in on their weekly call once a week. So be um, honest, are the, are the ones that are kind of, I'll call them more pain in the ass clients, the ones that are struggling to fundraise. And so they're now micromanaging every aspect <laughs> and the ones that are, the money's coming in and they know they're going to hit their target. It's they're they're more laid back about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like when, when things aren't going well, people tend to want more detail on why that is. Um, and of course like fundraising in, 2008, 9, 10, 11 was tough. Like it was a really tough fundraising environment. So you had a lot of bad news to get. Yeah, a lot of bad news. Like definitely a time when it was, you know, having to tell GPs a lot that, you know, nobody loved their fund. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, things got done. It just took a long time. Um, but, you know, it was all about the communication and letting them know why we were doing what we were doing. And, the pacing and staging and convincing people to be patient. And um, I, can, I can assume that at junior level, you're insulated a little bit from that, but did you see the stress at the senior levels during those years because it was hard to get, because obviously they're probably paid on, you're paid as a percentage of the fundraise, right? Um, typically. Right, so agents do get paid as, uh, that tip, the standard structure is that it's paid on a percentage of the fundraise and that can be structured on a variety of different metrics, but it's usually kind of new money. So you don't typically, you know, think of it as the, you know, the money that the agent raises. Cause also you always have existing investors and existing relationships, but yeah, that's what, I mean, that's, you get paid to raise money, right? You don't get paid just to sign up to try and raise money. It's, it's very success based. Um, and it depended on the client too. Like sometimes the clients want to go directly to the person at the analyst or the associate level because they know that they're kind of in the flow of all the details all the time. Mm -hmm. It just depends on kind of who you're working with. Okay. So you're there for a while. You're not really looking. Then what happens? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I had been thinking about, you know, over time, kind of where do I see my career? Um, and I did like the idea of transitioning into being more um, outward facing with investors. Um, I wasn't quite ready to make the switch and just be a pure salesperson. I didn't think that, you know, at the time I, I didn't know that I would enjoy that. Um, so I was, you know, the, the only thing that would have kind of, I wouldn't have gone to another agent. Um, and, but you know, the natural next step from being in a placement agent is going to, um, you know, a private equity kind of investor relations role, the same way banking is to a private equity associate role, you know, placement agent is to, you know, fundraising associate role at a private equity firm. So that is the, the, the most common next step um, after, you know, a placement agent role. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of, you know, open to ideas, but definitely not looking. Um, and, you know, I, someone reached out to me and knew about, you know, someone that was looking for someone. And then they ultimately ended up introducing me to Searchlight. Um, and, you know, it was a pretty attractive um, proposition to come here. Um, but it was also, we, they just raised their first fund. So today, you know, we have 7 billion in assets under management and 75 people at the firm. Um, when I joined here, it was not so obvious that, you know, it was, it was going to be a success. Like we'd raised the first fund, but, um, you know, I felt like I was at a how, place. How big was that first fund? Um, 860 million. Oh, pretty big. Yeah. So, so it's a sizable first fund. Yeah. So some, it had been de-risked significantly, but not still not to the point where you thought, 
Right. Right. When you think about kind of long term over your career, right, it's not like you don't come into private equity because you want to be somewhere for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, it's like ideally you want to be, I mean, I think ideally you should want to be there for the long term. Um, and so, you know, that I felt like I was at a place in my career where I could do that and that I thought I was equipped to be successful at the job, um, which I think is really important. I felt like, you know, I was, I was stepping into something that I thought I was capable of doing, um, even though it was definitely a challenge because I hadn't been out in front of investors before. And that was something that was. Yeah, so tell me about, tell me about the, the main differences between going from, I assume you were like an associate type role at the, um, when you were at Lazard at the placement agent group. That's right. Yeah. I'd been promoted to associate. So I, I, you know, two year standard, you know, yep. kind of banking type contract asked, you know, they asked me to stay for a third and then promoted me to associate. So also I felt like, you know, I, um, they had treated me well, like I didn't want, you know, I wasn't like looking to leave. Everything had been good. Um, but felt like this was an interesting opportunity, um, to come in and, you know, to, to come in and, and do so, yeah, something. tell me about how, what was the hardest part? What were the biggest differences between the two? I mean, just, just so I have an idea. I mean, I know very little about investor relations too, so this could be educational. Hopefully <laughs> I'm not taking up too much of your time, but no, no, I could talk. I'm very happy to talk about all this. I think it's interesting. Yeah, Cause I think, I think there are people actually, you say, you know, uh, placement agency, the typical exit is to go to IR, but I've also heard there are investment bankers who also are interested in this. For sure. Uh, and so I'd love to hear, give them a little bit of a more of a flavor of like the day to day yes. and stuff. Yes. No, so I, I think that um, if you look at people who are successful investor relation professionals today, you'll the most you know you'll see a, a large chunk of those people came from being a placement agent, but just as many came from other things like being investment professionals, being in banking. Um, you know, people do tend to pivot, and I think that's great experience to have because you know being um, more technical and having that banking training is a great foundation. Um, in a long term for an investor relations role. So, you know, I think coming from a placement agent, it's a little easier stepping into an IR role because you kind of know how things work. Um, but having a um, that technical banking background is super helpful. Um, and a lot of people do that. So what, what part of the job does that make easier? I mean, is there some technical aspects in terms of like returns and stuff or like- Yeah, and, and just articulating the strategy and the businesses. So it's like when I'm out talking to investors, I need to be explaining to them, you know, why, you know, why the investments that we make are attractive and how, how those, how we're transforming them. And, um, you know, that's something that, um, yeah, it's like if you- if Tell you me know, more about that though. Are you like going out to dinner with- like random LPs that are in your fund. Like what, what is yeah, so, that like so every day? I'm not like a glamorous, like whining and dining job. Okay. Um, I think maybe it used to be, but that's kind of not, not the way it works now. Um, you know, you, people expect you to be really credible and really knowledgeable about your firm um, and organized and thoughtful in how you approach them. Um, you know, be able to answer their questions, whatever those may be. So like, you know, my role here, um, you know, and I'll just focus on the investor side of my role because I'm head of investor relations, but then also I am chief of staff for the firm. So I oversee a lot of other kind of HR and kind of firm management type stuff. Right, yeah, let's focus uh, on the IR first. We'll focus on the IR stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, within that role, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of the same things I was thinking about in the placement agent role. It's setting, you know, when are we coming back to market? How much money can we raise? Where will this be attractive? Um, you know, that writing that PPM, the diligence questionnaire, you know, how all of that stuff, um, you know, comes together to craft the story. The investor presentation is a really important part of that. Um, track record returns, how do we present that? You know, all of those things. But then on top of that, I'm also out actually having conversations with investors about the firm. Um, and that's in a what big... Con in what context? Like, um, how are you even arranging these meetings? Like, right, so I'm, um, Because it's private, I'm, you know, I'm reaching out to, um, you know, the private equity person at various limited partners around the world and trying to get in front of them to Is talk that to them. just like a database that you guys have built over time and your CRM that, that you personally are making that outreach or do you have somebody junior below you helping you make that outreach and then you go do the meeting? Um, I mean, it depends on the person. I mean, also I was a team of one here for over a while. four years. So, um, so I was doing, you know, everything. Um, but, but typically if I'm going to go meet with someone, I'm reaching out to them. And, um, but then I have other colleagues. Now we have five people on the IR team now who are also out, you know, kind of doing all the different aspects of, of this job. But, you know, when I think about 
you know, how do I know who those people are? Um, you know, it's, it, it's, that's, that's kind of part of the special sauce, you know, in terms of figuring out who the right people are to approach. Um, you know, you certainly know who all of the big, you know, state pension funds are. It's public information, what they're doing and who they're investing in. And you can find all that information, but what you don't know is what's of interest to them, you know, and what's in their, you know, kind of what, what are they looking to do? Um, and so well, I assume there's a lot of proprietary knowledge that's built up over the seven plus years you've been there in terms of like, okay, this person is looking for this type of thing. They said no this time around, but look, right. And why did they say no, right? They said no when we raised fund two because we hadn't yet realized a bunch of investments in fund one, but they loved the strategy, right? And so then when we go to raise fund three, you know, it's like you go back to them and say, hey, you know, look, we've done all the things you wanted us to do. And they say, great, you know, now we're, we're, we're ready. right. So, you know, that that's exactly right. And so it's about, you know, getting in front of all of those different um, getting in front of the right people and and talking to them about it's, it's very similar to what you were doing. You're just on the funds. You're just doing it for one fund. Exactly. And exactly. You're, you're kind of more of the face. Are you doing these meetings like face to face? Are you doing? Yes. Most of it? Yeah. It's it's you know people will do calls, but there's nothing like face to face to be able to judge someone's body language and understand if they're really interested in what you're saying. Yeah. They're understanding what you're saying. Is it, hard, is it hard to get those meetings? And then like, are you bringing your deck, your pitch for the new fund like out there every time? Is it like the same deck or are you kind of tailoring it for each one? Um, it depends a lot. I mean, it's mostly the same deck, but the way you talk about it can be different. You know, if, if someone knows you, sometimes they come and they say, look, I really want to, you know, some people come in and they say, I really want to just focus in on, you know, this investment and, you know, this sector or, you know, th this dynamic of the team or whatever. Why did you guys invest in XYZ? That doesn't make sense. It's not in your wheelhouse or it doesn't seem like it's, you know, are you like, explain to me why this is an investment that you thought was attractive, right? And, and people will come with their own bias, right? Someone may have a ton of experience in that sector and they may have a ton of knowledge. And then there's other people that you come in and they want to talk about, you know, very high level, like, you know, thoughts on like the firm's investment philosophy at a very high level. So, you know, it can be that every meeting is very different. And um, now after, you know, having those conversations for so long, I think I've got, you know, gotten just about every question I could have gotten. Um, but you know, it, it takes, it takes a lot um, to get there. Like are, are the people, so your team of five now, are the people that are with you in this team, are they doing meetings with you or are they kind of going parallel, running parallel to you to try and get bigger, more reach? Um, it's a mix. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. I think it's, I think it's interesting to hear. So like, so you get into that meeting sometimes, so you have to know a lot about all the specific deals. You definitely have to be super well-versed in the strat, obviously the overall fund strategy, speak, right. speak eloquently about it. Sound like, you know what you're talking about. Cause there's like millions of dollars at stake in terms of whether you. Right. And, and then, you know, the, and a lot of times someone from the investment team is in that first meeting. Um, and so they're there as well. So that's also sometimes, you know, sometimes the, you know, one of our founders is doing most of the talking in that meeting. Okay. Um, but then to me on the back end to, you know, well, you know, answer any of the questions on the, you know, that, that I may know that I, you know, I need to answer. Um, but then also be on the back end to follow up and say, Hey, like we thought that meeting went really well, you know, how, how do you think about it? Like we're working toward having a next closing on next date, you know, is that of interest? Um, you know, ask the questions that they maybe didn't feel comfortable asking in that meeting or thought about afterwards or that their colleague asked them that they didn't have the answer to. And then, and then from there, you know, and you build relationships with people. And so, yeah. um, you know, it is a very relationship oriented business and it's a long-term business. So I mean, I meet with someone for years and years before they make an investment. And that's just kind of how it goes. That's fine. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a big commitment, right? So yeah. I think um, it sounds, it sounds really interesting that the role, it sounds like it would be kind of a different, different side, a little bit more of a marketing hat, a little bit more of somebody who's good public speaking, good with clients, they might enjoy it a little bit more at the junior level, maybe getting even a little more exposure, but a little bit less on like the sure. financial modeling and none of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's the other important thing is that, you know, as I mentioned, we were talking about placement agents and, and kind of, you know, back in 2008 and nine, the, the mix between, you know, P, uh, PE firms having in-house IR people, like the number of IR people at your average private equity firm just continues to increase because, you know, private equity fundraising has turned, used to be something that, you know, you'd come to market every couple of years, you'd go out, you'd meet with people, you'd raise money, you'd go home, you'd invest it, 
not really talk to anyone that much for the next couple of years and then come back out again. And now it's, you know, you're always in front of investors, always keeping them updated, you know, and so it's, it's really a year, year round, you know, all, right. every year. There may be a bigger surge before a right. fundraise, but it's, it's, you the, the investors now expect you to kind of be giving them updates. Right. Yeah. Why and do you so, think that is? Why do you, it's just because like people demand more information all the time now and it's just like and as the industry matures, you know, people are used to there's more metrics people want to be tracking and, and keeping in front of and um, you know, in terms of fundraising and, and making sure that, you know, you're on people's calendars of knowing when you're coming back because they only have so much money to spend every year. Um, and they need to prioritize that and to make sure that people know, you know, know that. So um, so I think it's it's a really great place to be within private equity. Um, and I think that it's you know, a really, uh, really rewarding, interesting career path within private equity that doesn't have to be, you know. Are you comfortable sharing just ranges of pay for IR professionals on big ballpark? You know, it doesn't have to be what you made, but just what you've heard in the street in terms of like base and bonus. Yeah. Um, like how, is so it here's, well, here's what I would say. It's yeah. a really hard question to answer mm -hmm. because, um, and something that's important, some of the things about getting into a career in this space, like I think that because there are fewer IR people on average at any single fund, um, you know, there's just less comps in the market and the role really is different at every firm. So just because like, you know, there are like, especially as firms get bigger, like some of the mega funds, you know, they have like 80, 90 people in their placement agent groups. Are uh, in their fundraising groups, and so those roles are very divided. You know, just like they are at. Because uh, I've heard, I, from what I've heard, some of the senior people sometimes are even paid, like if they're really senior, have an amazing track record, and are brought in. I've heard sometimes they can be paid like almost as a percentage of the new dollars they bring in, almost similar to like a outside placement agent. Have you heard of that ever happening? Yeah. So I mean, that it it it, it can kind of work that way. I mean, like, the thing is that. Yeah. You know, the, the reality is that, as I said, you know, you're kind of always fundraising. And so, yeah, it's like in a year where you fundraise, like you'll have more of like a fundraising bonus maybe and, and get overpaid in that year. Um, but again, that comes down to like every firm has a different philosophy in terms of how they think about that and how they want to incentivize people. Um, so I assume if they're recruiting from investment banking, the pay has to be at least somewhat comparable to investment banking at the level they're pulling out from. Yeah, I mean, it is a different career path. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, someone, it, yeah, it's like, you know, the, like if a second yeah. year, like a second, for example, let's say a second year analyst says, Hey, I don't want to do this investment banking thing anymore. I'm really interested in investor relations. They interview really well. They, they, their story's excellent. Should they expect a pay cut? And if I would probably say yes, a little bit of a pay cut, but how much, right? Assuming they're at a, let's say a middle market bank and they're making, I think that, I don't think that if you're coming in as like a, for, and this is, you know, I'm sure like everyone would, you know, everyone's gonna have a different opinion on this. Um, but I would think- For the range is super wide, but yeah, go ahead. The range is super wide. But I think if you're coming in as a, you know, first year fundraising associate, mm -hmm. I think you'd still be stepping up from what you were getting paid at a bank as a second year analyst, but okay. you wouldn't be stepping up as much as if you were going into an investment professional role. Like at a PE fund. Or at a PE fund, right. Like I think on average you're, you know, I think that that's probably so still- like a, It's maybe just not as an accelerated- um, that's right. Okay. Got it. That's that, right. And, that, and the, and the curve, it flattens out over time, that's you know, like, and I think that maybe it's, you know, over time you're, you know, the top IR professional doesn't get paid as much as a top investment professional, certainly. Right. Think, Cause they're not getting care. They're not, are they, are you guys? Yeah. I mean, typically people would, would get care, but you're not going to get as much, right? right? Cause you're, you know, um, but it's, it, it, it's still a very, it's going to be a very lucrative career path. Like, it's, it's not, um, if you're getting carry, it can be lucrative if the fund does well. <laughs> right, right. Right. No, it, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the pay in, within investor relations is very attractive, you know, in the scheme of things. Um, okay. but it's a, it, you know, and look, I, it is a bit of a different dynamic in terms of how much you, you know, what generally look, it's still not like great work-life balance. Like I work super hard. My team works super hard. And I think that's how it is everywhere, but, but it's, I think that's because piece of an investment professional it's not the pace of investment professional or obviously banking, but do you feel like the reason you work so much is because you kind of have two hats now? Yes. Um, yeah, no. And also like, I just push my, I enjoy what I do. Um, yeah. And so I push myself to work hard to do that. Um, and I mean, you're, you're handling, are you, you're chief of staff? You said that's correct. Yeah. You're handling all the, like, do you have an HR 
head of HR as well, or do you the head Not of today, no, hopefully we will um, at some point in the future. But so if anybody is like, you know, out there who's, you know, interviewing for private equity associate roles, like those come through me here at Searchlight. Um, so, you know, I manage our associate recruiting process principles, you know, I, I manage. Um, you be careful if you say that you're going to get flooded. I know, I know. Well, I, that does, <laughs> That's does a good thing. For our recruiter. So, you know, I can't, I can't do all that, but, but just in terms of how my role here works, I do. Um, and I think about, um, you know, all of the different, um, you know, hires that we're making and how those all fit together. And I think another important thing that I should mention about the investor relations role is that it also gives you an opportunity to really, you know, you mentioned really having that senior exposure, um, which I think is interesting. Um, but then also, you know, really understanding how the firm works in a way that I think your average investment professional doesn't and get exposure to a lot of different things. So I oversee all of our PR efforts. I oversee our ESG, you know, environmental social governance investing as part of our diligence process. Um, actually, I oversee our CRM system and kind of think about, you know, process management around deals and our, uh, managing our deal pipeline. So I get to do a lot of different interesting things here. Um, which I really like. And I think my approach here has always been just kind of take on as much as I can. Um, and you're like, you're basically running the fund. You're like the, you're the top of like the operations almost of like the entire fund. I mean, like we have a CFO, one of our founders really kind of oversees that the kind of the firm operations. But I was going to ask you the founders, are they like investment professionals? So it sounds like one is a CFO. He's like more managing more of the finances. Well, we, our CFO is separate. So we have three founders um, who came from Apollo, KKR and Ontario Teachers. Okay. Uh, and they are all investors. Um, but the but one of them, you know, oversees more of the firm operations than the others do. Um, and then our CFO is another person. We have a whole back office of 20 people who do all of that work. How big is Searchlight in terms of investment professionals? And then That's about 40 investment professionals. And then total, how many? 60, 70? Uh, about 75 people. 75, okay. Yeah, we have offices in New York, London, and Toronto. So we have a transatlantic platform um, in terms of how we're structured. So. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's been, you know, it's it's really exciting to... Well, you're um, doing lots of different things. It sounds like my day. I'm just like, podcast and tell you this and tell you this. It's right. a little crazy, right? Um, but yeah. so tell me a little bit about um, the HR thing. Was it kind of like the founders saw you could handle a lot? So they, they were like, hey, can you handle HR too? Yeah, I mean, I think as we grew, you know, it became clear that we needed to centralize that a bit more, um, especially as we were, you know, growing in fund size and thinking about how the firm was growing over time and needing to have one person be the central kind of, you know, funnel point of, you know, how are we hiring people? What does that look like? How many people are we hiring? Um, and also just have everyone feel like there's a place to come to if there are questions. And, um, you know, that that was the kind of the genesis of it. But, but yeah, it was something that I had, I'd picked up bits and pieces of along the way, um, and then ultimately ended up, you know, kind of taking it on more formally. And I think now that we've grown to where we are, mm -hmm. I'll transition that to, you know, a new HR person at some point in time um, to really take that over because it's, it's become, yeah, it's that alone has become more than a full-time job. So. so question about, can we just reverse a little bit because I didn't ask you too much about, and then I'll call it, but um, a little bit about your transition. You talked about how you weren't looking and the, the opportunity kind of came with Searchlight through some through a mutual connection, correct? Mm -hmm. Like just somebody you knew who kind of said, hey, introduce you. Did you feel like it was an interview or do you feel like they were just trying to pull you away? Like they, they had targeted you and they knew. Like was well, the interview hard? Be, like did you have to prep Searchlight for the interview? Yeah, Searchlight was actually running a search process at the time to hire an IR professional. Um, right. And the, the recruiters... Um, for that, that they were working with had not called me. So I was not part of that process. Um, but I knew someone who, you know, who I actually had previously worked with who said, Hey, you know, you should really think about other opportunities. And it was actually a different opportunity. Why, and why would the recruiter not call all the people at the placement agents or, you know, private advisory groups at all the top funds? Why do you think they didn't call you? Were they targeting? You know, I think it's, um, they didn't know, they didn't know you were in that. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. Okay. So, okay. um, that was, no, it was, so, but you it, heard I think through, probably, candidly, like I was probably on the younger end of the spectrum of people that they were looking at. But I think the other thing that I should emphasize is that within investor relations, the cultural fit is so important. But I think a lot of times what you'd see is like the job description may not fit you exactly. Um, and like, you know, you may, if you, especially that person that's like two years in banking and thinking about IR and you see the job descriptions, like, like you know, prior 
you know, fundraising or placement agent experience required, like if you can get your foot in the door and you're a really great cultural fit and you have the right kind of core skill set, a lot of times people will be willing to invest in you to kind of train you in that. We did that here with someone that, um, you know, didn't have any prior experience, had done two years in banking, two years in private equity and wanted to get into IR. Um, and so felt like, you know, and that, that's been great. So um, it, it's, it's, it's much less of a defined process than it is in, you know, banking to an investment professional role for sure. Fair. Okay. So anything, before we call it anything else you would tell your younger self now looking back at your long and fruitful career, not too long, but <laughs> career so far, how, anything you'd kind of look back either in college or in your first year or maybe 2008 when you were, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think when I think back on my career, I, you know, I certainly like stressed out a lot about doing a good job, right? I worked really hard, was always, you know, focused on just doing whatever was asked of me. Um, and I'm really, you know, happy with how everything's turned out. You know, I think, I think that there's always an element of, of kind of luck in, you know, everyone's careers, right? And ending up in the right place. Like, you know, if I'd ended up who knows, like, you know, lots of people who graduated in 2008 got fired very quickly, right, for no fault of their own. Um, and I was fortunate to end up in a group in a place that, you know, was supportive of me and that, that worked out. And so, um, you know, it would have been nice if I could have, like, told my younger self to like, maybe relax a little bit more. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, that, that sort of... I have, I have a lot more grays than you do, so don't feel bad. I have, like, a <laughs> full-on gray beard. <laughs> Um, I think also too, you know, just my, I, I do have two small kids. Um, and so I have a one-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I, I couldn't have imagined that like not that long ago. Um, and so, you know, I, I just didn't even think about it for a long time. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of amazing now. And I think that, you know, that's, it, I, that's such a, a big, um, source of, of pride and joy for me that I've, you know, I'm, I have, I have three kids. I have, I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. So we're in a similar boat. Yeah. Can you yeah. Talk, <laughs> you just for a second, talk to me about how you managed to do that much. I mean, I know you have more support now with the team being a little bit bigger, but it, are you able to kind of spend time? How do you balance that? Are you working from home ever? Or are you, do you have, na I, you know, I have a nanny. Yeah. Do you have a nanny? Like, how are you balancing next? I think it's interesting for some people. Yeah, no, for sure. So, um, the way I kind of think about it is that, um, you know, look, I think I've had to improve my efficiency tremendously, right? So for me, it's about really thinking about managing every minute of my day and how I spend that and being super efficient around, um, you know, all the different things I'm spending time on so that I can try and maximize the time I have with my kids. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I do, um, I have a nanny that's, you know, eight to six. Um, and, you know, for me, um, you know, my husband um, doesn't travel for his job. I do travel a fair amount for my job. So I think that's, you know, a good, very good balance is that, you know, one of us is always um, home in the evening, which is nice. Um, and I think for me, the other thing is that, you know, I really do try and leave at, you know, a time, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock so that I can get home, do dinner with the kids. You know, they're, you know, currently at this stage of life, they're in bed, you know, 7.30. And then I pick back up after that from home. Um, and, you know, I don't kind of tend to work from home during the day. I kind of need to be in the office. I have a lot of meetings, especially with my chief of staff hat. Like there's just a lot of stuff going on that I need to yeah. be part of here. Um, especially having a team of five people, right? Um, I, I kind of need to be here. Um, but I do, you know, try and, and leave, uh, go home, have dinner, and then in the evening, you know, do what I can from home. Um, prior to having kids, I was one of those people who was like always in the office super late. I'm a night owl. Like I was always happy to like stay here, you know, <laughs> later than now I You're should. like, I got to get out. I got to get out. <laughs> right. But now, right. No, now I know I, I go home and do that and then kind of pick back up afterwards. Um, and then seeing that, you know, on the weekends, I, I try and, you know, really, you know, make sure that I, I maximize the time with my kids on the weekends. It's hard. It's really hard. We're like, we're in a different with the with the third one. I'm I'm telling you, it's a game changer. <laughs> no, I've heard that. I've heard that. <laughs> we're like all three are sick right now, so we're just it's just like, oh. yeah. Anyways, I'm not sleeping much. I feel like I'm back in my banking days, but <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I will say I think that like going through you know a really tough work environment is a great training for having kids because oh, yeah. 
always say like, oh my gosh, it's so exhausting. It's so crazy. It's like, I think just a lot of people haven't ever been up at three o'clock in the morning. And it's like, no, I've been up at two or three o'clock in the morning a lot. Like this is, you know, these are hours that I'm used to. So yeah. um, that, that maybe didn't feel quite You're so used far. to sleep deprivation and pain. So you can- right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, but it's, it's wonderful. And um, yeah, I think that um, one other thing I did, I thought of that I wanted to touch on is, as I thought about my career transition to Searchlight, we talked about some of the kind of career drivers and why I wanted to do that. But the other thing was that, you know, I really believed in the people at the firm and that they would be successful. And so even though there was that kind of that element of risk, um, I thought they were nice people. I thought they were good people who I really respected as investors and and felt you know confident in them. I think that's so important, um, especially as people think about going into you know kind of a newer you know kind of startup because I think it's attractive to go into a, a you know a younger firm. Um, but I think that you know diligencing those people and you know doing whatever you can to find out about them and you know knowing that they're kind of good people that you're aligned with around kind of your core values and kind of how you think about life. Um, I just think is really important and something that um, in hindsight, I'm, you know, I, I feel really fortunate that all that stuff, you know, was uh, kind of worked out. Um, and it's something I certainly thought about at the time, but it's all been true. Yeah. Um, and so just, you know, as people think about taking those career risks, there's like kind of like, you know, your career and what I can do for your career, but also making sure that you just like the people that you're working with, because it's really important. You spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. And that could take patience. I mean, I think I made the mistake of jumping from my investment banking job to a private equity job in Boston, which I thought was my dream job. And I got fired within six months. So a lot of people, a lot of people know that story, but um, I'll say that for another day. But yeah, I agree with you. You got to be patient. You got to do your diligence, make sure that the fund is in good shape, that things are going the right way. Yeah. That, uh, you, yeah. Think about, really think about the long term, right? Private equity is a very long term business and think about that kind of, you know, where do you want to be in 10 or 15 years? And are you and the firm aligned around that? That's great. Well, Emily, thanks so much for taking the time out of yeah, your precious hours. And, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was nice to, to chat about all these things. Hopefully it's helpful to someone. Yeah, I think it will be. It's been fun. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much.